electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. A couple people make friends just trying to make you some money. My job, not just entertain, but to educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Well, at least that's over with. I'm talking about the fact that Fed Chief Jay Powell spoke today, agreed to raise interest rates three times next year, like we thought. Made it clear the economy is very much on track, like we thought. Uh, but inflation needs to be curbed before it destroys our collective purchasing power, like we thought. We ended up rallying hard after Powell's comments, in large part because the big bad event is finally over. The Dow gaining 380 points, the S&P jumping 1.63%, and the Nasdaq, which had been getting down there. Someone giving it the business every day. Well, the Nasdaq exploded 2.15% higher. House of pleasure. The whole thing was like a bit of a Rorschach test, wasn't it? Some commentators thought that Powell had suddenly become very hawkish by introducing the prospect of three rate hikes next year. Others found him too dumbish, not doing enough to tamp down wage inflation or ease supply bottlenecks. They wanted the kind of economic carnage that Powell unleashed by accident in late 2018, something I doubt he'd do again. However, if inflation stays red hot, it's clear that he might be willing to keep tightening, even as the current plan is to stop by around 2024. Uh, But he's flexible. Uh, That plan will change if the data changes and the Fed funds rate could end up going above 2%. The Fed will do what's prudent, especially if the pandemic stays with us. In short, Powell once again threaded the needle. That's why the stock market could turn around and soar, led by profitable growth stocks. Like my favorites, like Eli Lilly, which I tried so hard to get you to buy in our club meeting last week, rallied 10% in a single session. After the recent pummeling, these profitable growth stocks, which are the ones you know I favor, well, the selling in them, the respite, well-earned. More importantly, because Powell had already signaled that something like this was coming, the stock market had already baked in the damage and applied it to every, every sector, which is what else allowed us to rebound today when it became clear that his bark is more powerful than his bite. Ever since Powell went nuclear in the economy in late 2018 and then swiftly had to change course, he's been a very measured and thoughtful Fed chief. For example, 
He said repeatedly that he doesn't want to slam the brakes on the economy, start raising rates, until we see more gains in minority hiring. He's always looking to help the disadvantaged. Man, that's a new thing for a Fed chief. But today, Powell said we're finally making headway. And while he's a pretty subdued guy, he was obviously happy to have held rates low enough for, to accomplish that mission in his life. In my adult life, I don't think I've ever seen a Fed chief who prioritizes Main Street over Wall Street like this man. Plus, Powell's no, not a bonehead. He doesn't say anything about the pandemic except to point out that the more people who are vaccinated, the better the economy will be. That's a fact, although it's one in millions are in denial about. He's not a clueless taskmaster either. Powell doesn't make stupid predictions about how rich he's going to be. No vows to hit us with lockstep like he did three years ago, saying that we got a rate, rate hike, rate hike, rate hike. He's sensitive to the power of his own words now, even as the questioners either want him to blunder or want to test his conviction. He's not an ostrich. Powell recognizes that we've got all sorts of inflation, although he also knows that commodity inflation has already been tamped down by his recent pivot. Lots of major commodities have already come down substantially from the highs. Think oil, copper, steel. Just based on recent remarks, his words were his deeds. Now, just like the reporters who try to trip Jay up, there are traders who got tripped up by his common sense approach. I'll give you a couple examples. First, the bank stocks turned down today because going into today, some traders believed that the Fed would screw it up, tighten rapidly. Remember, the banks make more money when short-term rates go higher. I guess they thought Powell is Bozo the Clown. He outwitted these people when he brushed his teeth and buttoned his shirt this morning. There were others who kept selling the best growth stocks right into the release of Powell's statement. I want you to think of companies like AMD, Salesforce, Apple, amazingly profitable, because they expected total carnage in these names. Again, it's like they never paid attention to a single word this man has said. So what happens now? There are a couple of ways to go. First, we could be looking at the beginning of the long-awaited Santa Claus rally that I keep talking about. You can't rule it out, given there's nothing on the calendar that could derail the market between now and the end of the year. I mean, historically, this is it. Historically, the Santa rally doesn't usually come until a few days later, but it wouldn't shock me if it already started. You know Larry Williams, the legendary stock market historian, and I are banking on this one. So instead of this... Second, some investors might not realize that we aren't going back to where we were before Powell's pivot. Don't go back to some of those stocks. While Jay's not explicitly trying to annihilate the cloud-based software as a database stocks with huge addressable markets powered by land expanse strategies, in other words, the money losers that trade on sales, not earnings, his pivot was the sign to lighten up on the whole group. Okay, the whole group. Powell did not say you should dump your Robin Hood. He did not say you should dump your AMC. He did not say you should sell your GameStop. He did not do those things. But they simply don't work in an environment where the Fed is no longer your friend. Those stocks that sell at 10, 20, 30, 40 times sales, forget them. They've made their money for you. Go for profitable growth, okay? Profitable growth. Third, Powell will immediately be second-guessed by supposed experts who shouldn't even be allowed to shine the guy's shoes lest they get kiwi polish on his cuffs. These professional second-guessers, including professors, hedge fund managers who are short the stock market, and highly paid economists, often looking to preserve their jobs at all costs, well, they want the Fed to carpet bomb the economy in order to stamp out inflation as soon as possible. You cannot afford to listen to these people. You will never make money. You will be in your financial chains. If, like my charitable trust, they actually showed you in real time what they were doing in their money, I'm betting that they're doing somewhat of the opposite of what they say on air, because otherwise, man, they'd be out of business a long time ago. Fourth, there will be a pack of jackals eager to start speculating right now, tomorrow morning, about how the next Fed meeting is right around the corner. And when it arrives, Powell will have to tighten a lot tougher because inflation's still uh, raging. These people, I say they are of zero help. I think there's actually something pathological about them, too. I mean, they can't stop talking about the next meeting. It's like they have nothing else in their lives. These people must find other hobbies. 
What matters in the end is that Powell's taking action to slow the economy now that he's gotten the unemployment rate back to 4.2%. I say the guy deserves a victory lap. So let me tell you, if I were in one of those squares, I don't know if you watch, you probably didn't even watch it, but there's like these big Hollywood square games with all these faces. If I would have been one, those are the press people. If I had been one of those, if I were in the audience at today's press conference and he called on me to ask a question, me, 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 here's my take. I would say, Chairman Pep, I want to thank you for being person of your word, a Fed chief who cares more about the persistent downtrodden rather than persistent inflation. You correctly navigated the pandemic and are committed to continuing to do so. So thank you for not falling prey to hysterics about the various strains. You saved millions of jobs with your considered words during the downturn. You did not freak out because of strong hiring or strong spending, as it didn't require credit. And most important, you were the only non-political guy left in Washington trying to help the people who have been left behind rather than worrying about keeping your own job. So, Mr. Chairman, here's my question. Chief, what's your favorite drink? Let me see in your case. You and your family have a safe, great holiday. Thank you very much. See you next year. Here's the bottom line. The market's entering a new phase here. But as long as Powell's in charge, I think we can expect a soft landing and a lot of good stocks to find. Just not as many as before. I think it's diet ginger ale. <laughs> can I have Celeste in New York, please, Celeste? Hi, I'm with my husband, Michael. And first, he would like to say... Happy holidays and a happy, healthy holiday booyah to you, Jim. Right back at you. How do we help? Okay, so um, we love you. We know that. Uh, My question for you is, everyone knows about Twitter, yet is barely trading above its IPO price. I know. The recent change in management, what do you think about future prospects? Do you think they might be bought uh, or acquired by a larger company? Okay, I do not think they're going to be acquired. We don't trade on stocks for takeover here. I do think that if they do a kinder, gentler Twitter that's not about engagement and saying mean, horrible things about me and 10 other people like you can't believe. And if they focus more on direct-to-consumer ads and if they bought, say, like a next door, which would make it so they're nicer, I think it would work. If I were running the company, I'd get that thing to 100, and I'd get that thing to 100 in two years. God, that's not even hubris. It's reality. What, my executive producer's blinking your eyes. I could, Regina, come on. I'm put on earth to do that thing. I'm put on earth to turn that company around. You know that. I'm put on earth to turn that company around. I know exactly what makes it tick and what should make it tick. Let's go to Jeff in California, please. Jeff. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Really appreciate your passion and hard work. Well, thank hey, Jim, you. After, yeah, and not my the- insanity and craziness. That's good. <laughs> well, it's not that funny. Well, I'm from downtown L.A. We've got a lot of crazy people out here, too, man. Right, hey, Jimmy, go. after the 42% fall of DocuSign, Kathy Wood bought up $100 million worth of Docu. That's 747,000 shares. But I read online, Jim, that, quote, once a stock plummets more than 30% after earnings, the stock has a very, very slim chance of any real strong recovery. So question, at this point, is it a buy, sell, or a hold? Well, the fact that she bought it's actually a negative. Uh, because this is a person who has become a proverbial butcher block. She just seems to buy what's down. And I totally agree with you. That's not necessarily a great strategy. I'm sure she owns a lot of good stocks. And she was amazing last year. That said, I think that DocuSign has a bright future. But right now, the, the base who owns it is very, very bad. 
I think that you have to, it, this is in the penalty box for a couple of quarters, and then we'll take a look at it. I admire her not paying top dollar, but I wish she were more selective in what she bought. All right, this market is entering a new phase, but with Powell at the helm, I foresee a soft landing and some interesting stocks to buy, just not nearly as many as there were one month ago. On May tonight, I'm sitting down with the CEO of Enbridge. Hey, 7% yield or find out about its move into low carbon investments, carbon capture, CC, right? Then uh, is the bowl half full for Campbell's soup? I'm sitting down with the CEO after its investor day. And no, those are mega goldfish, not meta goldfish. And yesterday we learned that 3M was spinning off its food safety business and merging it with another food safety outfit called Neogen. I'm going straight to the source of a sizzling stock that you've never heard of. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. With the Omicron variant spreading like wildfire, Federal Reserve talking about the need for three rate hikes next year to cool down the economy. What do you do with the newly beaten down energy stocks? Remember my mantra, next year you want concrete companies with real products and real profits that aggressively return those profits to shareholders. However, if you're worried about what the Fed will do to the economy, it's tough to own anything in the fossil fuel complex. Hence why the whole group's been shelled over the last month, particularly today. So what do we make of something like Enbridge? 
The Canadian oil and gas pipeline company with a notoriously B.I.G. dividend currently yields more than 7 percent, although I saw it recently downgraded as if it did because it didn't have any growth on top of its pipeline business. Enbridge is also a major investment in solar, in carbon capture, which is really important. We talk about that in order to pivot to a greener world. Of course, after roaring to a multi-year high of 43 in November, the stocks tumbled at 37 today, along with the price of oil and gas. Does that make it enticing? Do we need more uh, Enbridge or more caution about Enbridge. Let's take a closer look with Al Monaco. He's the president of Enbridge Straight Shooter. Find out more about where his company said. Mr. Monaco, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having us back. Al, you just had a really remarkable uh, Investors Day where you had incredible things to say about growth and the environment. In other words, that you're pivoting much faster than any American company I know toward doing the right thing and it's going to produce growth. Can you give us a, an overview of that day? Because it was really rather extraordinary. Yeah, well, uh, let me start this way, Jim. Uh, first of all, I think your, your proposition is exactly right on. Uh, you know, if you start from the fundamentals of the story, which is essentially we've got tremendous demand pull assets. They're not supply push, and we deliver to the best markets. They've got great commercial underpinning beneath them, which means we deliver predictable uh, and growing cash flow. Great balance sheet. And I think today, and this goes to your latter point, we're extremely well positioned to uh, be a great transition play to a lower carbon economy. And I think most uh, independent analysts out there would tell you we're the leader in ESG. So we had a great 2021 so far. We put roughly, roughly $10 billion of assets into service. And that's going to generate a lot of free cash flow going forward. At the same time, we accelerated our export and low carbon strategies. So Think LNG and think crude oil exports. Uh, we made a great acquisition of the Angleside Energy Center in Corpus Christi. And we increased the dividend, again, for the 27th consecutive time. Financial metrics are strong and investable capacity net of dividends is going to be 5 to $6 billion a year going forward. So uh, we're, we're, we're in a great spot. And as I said, really ideally positioned for the transition in our view. Well, you know, it's funny. I wonder whether your group is being getting rewarded at all for growth, Al. I, I'm glad you mentioned Corpus Christi because I want to go there. Now, that was, you know, you, you, it was a seven point, it was a $3 billion acquisition made in September. And when I look at that, Al, that is the most growth part of the entire energy complex because most U.S. exports go out of Corpus. So uh, I don't understand why your stock isn't higher. I, I understand why your payout's big because, you know, relative to the stock, but you're one of the fastest growers in the complex. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're wondering that as well. I think right now, uh, Jim, it's pretty clear that there's a general overhang with, with uh, conventional energy. But I think your, your point is right on. This terminal is extremely well positioned for the future of energy. And in, in my view, and I think we've said this before on your show, um, North America is in a tremendous competitive position here. We have abundant supply. We've got great assets and we got to technology. And the kicker to that is we are extremely well positioned on the ESG front. If you look at the right. top two countries globally for ESG, it's Canada and the United States. And this terminal is extremely well positioned competitively. We save probably a buck, buck and a half for each transit of every barrel into that terminal. Not to mention the fact that we've now got a great position on LNG. So the export story 
for North America is really a gem, and, and we're well positioned for it. Now, I think that the safest way uh, to transport things, and we have a huge amount of natural gas in the Permian, not a lot of growth uh, out, of, uh, out of Marcellus or Utica, but that's because of regulators. Is there a way to get more of this natural gas to market? Because you know, Al, that natural gas in this country should be, should be a real competitive advantage, should be much slower. But I feel like if you try to do a greenfield pipeline in the Northeast, it's not going to happen. Well, two things you've got there around the Permian and the U.S. Northeast. First of all, I couldn't agree with you more on the U.S. Northeast. I think, unfortunately, it's going to take a little bit more pain in terms of the higher prices and get this, the need to import LNG to satisfy U.S. Northeast demand when the Marcellus is literally sitting next door. But to get back to the Permian, the big picture here is, and I don't want to get on a big gas kick, but, you know, The big picture is all things gas and oil reflect global markets. And the supply-demand balance for gas globally is way too tight. You saw that again just yesterday when prices uh, peaked again. Uh, And going forward, uh, you know, I don't uh, really have any hesitation in saying gas is going to be king, not just because of energy demand uh, right now, but if we want more renewables globally, gas has got to be there alongside with it. Now, in terms of getting this gas out, I think you'll know that you never get pipeline capacity right. Either you're short or you're long. And I think this is a great opportunity to, to pipe some more volumes out of the Permian for gas. It's growing uh, really well there on the natural gas side. Now, as I said earlier, we happen to be really well set up. Think about the, the Gulf Coast in its entirety, Jim. We've got basically the header system there that feeds natural gas into global LNG facilities. So the future is exports on both crude oil and natural gas. Now, you're the only company I know that actually can make a lot of money doing carbon capture, capture not just talk about it. Now, is this because the Canadian, I mean, look, the, the Canadian government is much more aggressive about ESG than us, but you're going to make a real business out of carbon capture. Uh, Yeah, great point. Again, I'm going to broaden this just for one minute, if you'll allow me, because the transition to lower carbon for us actually involves three or four things. Number one, and this might be unusual uh, for your listeners, uh, for for a company like ours, but we've been in the renewables business. So wind and solar for 20 years. We started way back because we had a view uh, on, on energy fundamentals. So we have a big renewables business today. Uh, we've got an incubation of hydrogen projects within our gas utility. They've done a good job of bringing that along. We've got literally 50 renewable natural gas projects that we're building uh, and looking into and developing uh, for the future. So great platform for low carbon future in this company, I believe, Jim. And then to CCUS, if, if we okay. want to really hit the Paris climate goals, CCUS has got to be part of the solution. And for every megaton that you want to reduce in emissions, you need to invest about a billion dollars in capital. And with our system, which basically includes transport and storage, Mm -hmm. that will always be part of the future of energy, in our view. And CCUS uh, can really leverage, uh, can really leverage our our assets to capture these CCUS opportunities that are going to have to be part of the equation. You see, Al, I think you're the best one in the complex right now because of both combination of yield and growth. And I think that, you know, thank you. You've, you're pointing the way to everybody and you've got to keep going on uh, and you get 7% yield while you're doing it. So thank you so much. Dal Monaco, Enbridge president and CEO. Guys, the Canadians have the jump on us, okay? They know how to do this because they're made to and they want to. 
And I think that Enbridge is the best of the lot. Mad Money's back yet to the break. Thank you, Al. Coming up, this company's in the corner of the millions cooking at home. Could Campbell's cook up some tasty returns for home gamers? Kramer stirs the pot with the CEO. Next. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Who's the biggest winner from today's two biggest stories, the worsening COVID headlines and a more hawkish Fed, although not quite as hawkish as many investors feared? Simple. When investors are worried about the pandemic and a Fed-induced slowdown, many of the more conservative of your lot go to the consumer staples. This downtrodden group has been in rough shape all year. But today they had their moment in the sun, including Campbell's Soup, which is now up roughly 8% for December, even after reporting a mixed quarter last week. Doesn't hurt that yesterday the company held an investor day, and even where they unveiled some very bullish long-term growth targets. So could this be the beginning of a larger move? Let's dig deeper with Mark Klaus. He's the president and CEO of Campbell's Soup to learn more about where his company's headed. Mr. Klaus, welcome back to Man Money. Hey, Jim. Great to be back. Okay, so Mark, you've delivered uh, what I think is a very credible turnaround play. But at the same time, are you ever going to be able to enjoy genuine, say, I'm going to put a number out there, $4 growth within our lifetime instead of the threes? Look, I I think we're well positioned uh, for where we're going to be coming through the pandemic. And that was a lot of what we talked about at the Investor Day this week was not so much about the, the navigation in the short term, which I do feel great uh, about how the team's performing. And, you know, we, we all understand some of the uh, challenges that we're all facing right now. But more importantly for us is about the future. And, and well, how are we positioned uh, to benefit as we come through this? And, and what does that trajectory look like? And I got to tell you, from where we were three years ago to where we are now, there's no question the company is on a much stronger foundation. And we, as we think about the position of our portfolio relative to the combination of where consumer macro trends are, as well as the focus that we're putting on these businesses, we feel really good about the ability to sustain growth going forward. And a, a big part of that is we talked about this week was innovation, where, uh, as you might imagine, in the last year or two, we've been focused much more on the on the foundational core business, uh, meeting demand and, and delivering on supply. And as we move forward, I think you're going to see innovation playing a much bigger role. And, you know, in the studio today, we've got a few highlights from that. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about that. No, I like them. I, and I, I use most of them, frankly, uh, particularly because we cook. I use Pacific all the time. And Cape Cod and Kettle are favorites. Uh, I am a big believer in, in your V, the new V8s. But this is what I'm thinking about. Uh, you okay. had your company, but it wasn't you, spent $6.1 billion on an asset that was good for snacking. I happen to like Snyder's. You've done a lot of good stuff there. But you also, that's a big nut. Are you now where you should be in terms of what I think you really, and you would never have paid $6 billion, I can tell you that. Where Are you now where you were? Have you paid the right and lower amount for Snyder's? Yeah, I, I feel great about where we are on the snacking business. And, you know, as you think about the journey we've been on, both from a value capture standpoint, but almost more importantly, the position that we have on these brands and the portfolio that it represents in snacking, 
I feel terrific about this. You know, we now have a, a portfolio or a business where 50% of our business is in snacking. And, you know, whether it's before the pandemic, during the pandemic or post, snacking is going to continue to grow. And the great thing about our portfolio, as you see across the studio today, is our brands are really differentiated and well positioned for where consumer trends are going in snacking. It's, Consumers are constantly looking to trade up an experience, whether it's in health and wellness or permissibility, or even in straight indulgence. And, and the idea that we can bring and meet those needs across a variety of different categories, I think is really powerful and sets up a, a big part of our business that I think is positioned very well for the future. Right, well, uh, we also talked a little bit about margins on that business right. where I do think we have opportunity. And although the name of the game on stacking is about accelerated growth, I think the great news is we've got a really clear roadmap that we laid out this week that can bring our margins from where they are today uh, closer to where the averages are within the snack industry. We said 17 percent EBIT margin by 2025. Mm -hmm. And the great news is a lot of the initiatives that are driving that margin are also going to support us on driving growth. So I feel really good where this business is right now and the role that it's going to play in the future. Okay, so the Fed chair is a terrific guy. He thinks a lot about the everyday working person. First Fed chief I've ever seen do that publicly. Uh, now, he wants the prices lower at the supermarket. He uses a very blunt instrument by raising short-term rates, say, three times next year. Will that one... Cut any of your in, uh, your inputs that have inflate that that really have been inflate really boosted by inflation, and two make it so that if the working person went to the supermarket, it would actually cost less. Yeah, well, certainly we share the desire to ensure that prices remain affordable on our products. Um, there's no question uh, that the environment that we're in right now is a level of inflation that's significant and very very broad, and so. You know, as I look at it, and, and we talked about this a few times over the last couple of weeks, you know, there's clearly parts of the inflation that we're seeing now that I do think are more transitional in nature. And I do expect that as we cycle through the next uh, six to 12 months, we're going to see some improvement and some relief in some areas. But I also think there are some areas that probably are a bit more structural. And so, you know, I do expect inflation uh, to continue as we roll into the 22 calendar year. And for us, even into the first half of our fiscal year in 23. But I think we're going to be doing everything we possibly can, both from a, a cost standpoint as well as productivity, to try to ensure that we, that we maintain affordable prices. We know how important that is. Uh, and certainly across our portfolio, where we've got a lot of products that are really important to people's everyday lives, we want to do the best job we can in, in keeping those prices okay, right. Okay, so I'm going to hold up just – you can't tell, but I'm holding up a couple of things. You've got some pretzel chips that I absolutely love. Uh, Snyder's are great. The new Goldfish Mega. Every one of these I like. But I've got to tell you, Mark, I keep coming back to the same thing. These are incremental growth. It's not like you went and bought, bought Utz potato chips. Uh, it's not like you went and bought a whole new kind of a something that's out there that's very, very different kind of way that McCormick bought uh, Frank's. These are incremental developments. Incrementally, can if they all add up, can they get you to, say, 350 in earnings, if not $4, out in, say, 2025? Look, I, I think we've got a pretty steady trajectory as we talk about these next several years. And the opportunity for us to create value through both the organic growth plan that we have, as well as something that I think differentiates Campbell's, which is the strength of our balance sheet right now. 
You right. know, over the last right. years, we generated over $3 billion in cash flow that now, as we've reduced debt to a level that we're very comfortable with, we're in a terrific position to win in a variety of different ways, whether that's investing in growth within our company or, you know, as we've talked about, I think there will be opportunities to tuck in acquisition uh, to complement the portfolio we're in um, and continue to, to add value that way, or even as we've recently announced, although not our priority, but certainly an opportunity, our areas like share buybacks. But the name of the right. game for us and, and what we've really tried to do is, is seed a very compelling growth mindset across Perfect. the company and that's, build our culture around it. That's what we want to do. That's what we want. We don't want to dividend raise until we get growth. We don't want buyback. We want growth. If we get Absolutely. growth, it solves, I'm with you. solves the problems, we're Mark. There. All right, very good. That's Mark Klaus, president of Campbell Soup. Go look at their products. It's a different Campbell Soup, and I think it's a changed one, but we need even more growth if we're going to get lots of buyers into the stock. Mark Klaus, great to see you. Everybody's back into the break. Coming up, a major agreement sent this stock soaring. Everything you need to know about Neogen, straight from the CEO, next. Telling you, this is the moment to own companies that make tangible products or provide concrete services. One that gives you real earnings, not just sales and a real catalyst. That's what's happened after what the Fed did today. That's how you make money. Tonight, I got a new one for you. Yesterday, we learned that 3M will be spinning off its food safety business and merging with another food safety outfit called Neogen. Now, we had to do some homework on these guys because it's a little under the radar. But the more I looked at the deal, the more I like it. I'm a big believer in breakups, create more focused entities, especially when they start merging with their pure play competitors. Market seems to agree, which is why both 3M and Neogen have rallied since this deal was announced. I don't want you to take it from me. I need you to know about this. Let's talk to John Aiden. He's the president and CEO of Neogen. Learn more about the 3M food safety merger and what it means for his business. Mr. Aiden, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Well, sir, I've got to tell you, I'm excited about your company. After this merger, I, I, I don't want to be too aggressive in this, but you're number one in a category that is one of the great growth categories that people don't know about. And I don't even know if there's a two or three, frankly. Yeah, we agree. We think it's got great tailwinds in this segment. You know, you think about all the stuff that was going on with the global pandemic, and one thing's for sure, people still need to eat. So we really think we're in the right marketplace with the right products and the right people. We had uh, Campbell Soup today. I saw on their packages, it says gluten-free. I went to a restaurant last night. I happened to, if I have anchovies, they kill me. Uh, I wanted to know whether things were anchovy free. They haven't even done that study yet. But I want gl- I want gluten free to be I want those studies being done for all the different allergies. Every one of them is you. Right. You're the only certified. Yeah, that's no, that's exactly right. We love everything that's free because when it says free, that means people got to test for it. And we make all the tests to make sure that those types of allergens, food allergens or any type of pathogens are staying out of the food supply. Now, that has given you a compound rate of growth. Uh, that is incredible. And a stock price. Tell people where this stock was even just a few years ago so they know who you are because it is extraordinary. Yeah, when we started, uh, I think we've got we've grown to be about uh, 2000, a little over twenty five hundred percent growth from when we started the company. And we're really proud of that. And I think what really drives that, Jim, is that we've got uh, 22 years of consecutive growth in our business. And we tend to grow at about uh, 15% on a compounded annual growth rate. We average about 9% organic growth. 
This last year we did 9% organic growth, and the last two quarters we actually have had 12% organic growth rate. So we're a growth company in a growing market, and it's really exciting. It's there's there are various inputs that make your business stronger. One of my thoughts is just when you have rising incomes in emerging markets, they use more of you. Is that just as people get more savvy, they realize that they're eating things that are bad for them? Yeah, I mean, look, I lived in Asia 30 years ago. So when I lived in China and went to the wet market, you didn't know if that piece of meat was going to was there for two hours or two days. So your expectation was you were going to get sick. And as people's income grow, the first thing they do is they improve their diet. And when they improve their diet, they want to make sure that they're getting healthy, safe food. So we see a tremendous runway for our business. About 40% of our business today is international. And we see that as a big growth opportunity for us. Now, I think that uh, the actual structure, it, it does confuse people a little when they hear that reverse more. Trust they get worried. But the basis is, is that you, your company well, you have 49.9, 3M will have 50.1, but you are running the show, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, that's a business that we've been mired for a long time, that 3M business. And we think it's a, it's a great business. It's a great complimentary fit for us. They've got tremendous IP. They've got employees that are passionate about food safety, just like we are. And by bringing it into us, we can allow and give them the resources they need to grow and the focus they need because every day we get up, we're just like you, Jim, we get up, we roll up our sleeves, we go to work, and we protect the world's food supply. Now, I figured that it with a giant company like 3M, which I most admire, that my father worked for for time, that this is an afterthought for them. As great as they are, it can't be more than that because it just couldn't scale. But for you, their afterthought is gigantic for Neogen. Oh, it does. It doubles the size of our business. And it really allows us to reach more customers more often with a really unparalleled product offering. And not only does it going to do that, it's going to help us drive this industry forward through our data analytics platform and our blockchain solutions that really increase the efficiency, the traceability, and enhance the food safety protocols for customers. I'm glad you brought up the blockchain because I wanted to go there. You basically know where something came from and that we hear about blockchain and crypto. This is how blockchain really works, correct? You are identified. You know exactly what lot, where it came from. If it's poisoned, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, our blockchain customers on beef, for example, when you go to the store and buy one of our customer steaks, and you take it home. If you send me a sample, I'm going to be able to tell you where that animal lived, what that animal ate, all the inputs into that animal, every single stop along the way till it got to your dinner plate. Yes. Yeah, see, I just think that that's just a fantastic business. One of the funniest moments, candidly, on the conference call was when Steve Tusa, who's a man I most admire from J.P. Morgan. And this made me feel better about not knowing your company. Is he said, you're, you, I don't really know you guys. You've done 55 acquisitions, correct? I mean, you've been building and building and building to this moment. We have. We have. We've, it's been part of our strategy. We talked about that organic growth. I mean, we really do a nice job of growing our markets. And the reason we can do that is we've got great innovation and we're a company of first. We're the first company to launch rapid allergen tests. We're the first company to launch mycotoxin tests. We can test for listeria in under an hour and traditional methods are 48 hours. We're the first ones that's going to do the, the analytics platform, which is going to allow our customers to be more successful and change their food safety protocols to be more efficient. 
And yeah, we're just a, we're a quiet Midwest company. We put our head down, we go to work, and we help customers solve problems. Well, you're the kind of stock that works in an environment where the Fed has decided it's got to keep inflation lower and it's no longer our friend. Neogen is our friend. I want to thank John Aiden, President and CEO of Neogen NEOG. Thank you so much, sir, for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate you having me on. It is our job to find companies like this. I am going to bump into someone like I did this gentleman today when I went to the doctor who is going to say, you know what, I bought that new gen. I want to thank you. And I'm, that's what my job is, to bring these stories to you. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Steve, that is on the way. Now, let's start with Michael in North Carolina. Michael. Hey, a big bear creek supreme, southern supreme. Booyah to you, Jim. I was thinking the same thing when you called. What do we got? What are we looking at? Yeah, ASOs, Academy Sports. I think this stock is really cheap. Now, I'm a hunter. I'm not as biased as a lot of other people. I think it's a cheap stock. And it should be bought. Let's go to Eric in Florida. Eric. Thanks, Jim, for taking my call. Booyah. Booyah. I want your thoughts on the long and short of 23andMe, stock symbol uh, ME. I think that if they can do, if, if Imogiski could do, uh, she has to do healthcare. If they are just the kind of, well, let me see what, you know, where I'm from and what I'm from, that's a no-go. They have to make that, gla- that deal with uh, SmithKline work big. That's work very, very big. And they should do that today. Let's go to Alex in New York, please. Alex. Hey, booyah, Matt. Money, first time, all the time. Excellent. What's going Invest- on? Investing club member here. Thank you for all the real-time data and hard work you all do. Happy holidays for all. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, Dr. Chill. With gold as a hedge against inflation, and inflation at its all-time highs, um, there hasn't been any tailwind for the stock. But more concerning, with rates coming in the near right. future, and gold having inverse relationship, right? Should I shy away from thick symbol G O L D? Okay, uh, this one, I, gold defies. I know that Larry Williams told me this, and Jim, stay away from gold. I have historically liked Barrett Gold. I am not giving up on it. Yields 2%. But gold has lost its ability to be a hedge. And we all have to recognize that. And I've been, I, I say, I used to say that gold should be 10% hedge. Now it's only 5 I prefer crypto to gold. Wow. He didn't really say that, did he? Yes. How about Brian in Oregon? Brian. Who you Kramer? Let's get to work. Ah, Brian, I hear you. What's up? All right. Hey, re- recent CEO resignation, lots of downgrades, and the price cut in half. What do you think about Everbridge? Look, that guy resigned. And what I like when someone resigns, like, just out of nowhere, is an honest uh, an honest view of what the heck happened. I, like, I would like that. By the way, let's throw in Splunk, Doug Murray. He's been on the show many, many times. What happened to Doug Murray? Like, what, what happened? He was, he was Mr. Splunk. Mr. Ever, EVBG is left, too. I'm not accepting that. I need to know the truth. I can't recommend a stock, even though I think it's great, if I don't know what happened to the CEO. They don't just, like, get on a train. All right, let's go to uh, Lance in Michigan. Lance. Hi, Jim. Booyah to you. Booyah. They, 
They have the Genentech Brain Trust and several neurotreatment candidates to cross the blood-brain barrier. What's your take on DNLI Denali Therapeutics? I I know this because I do a lot of work with, uh, with brains because I have problems with my brain. And I can tell you that's a very hard call. And that's a very speculative situation because we've been trying to develop some medicines that go beyond that. And it is really, it's take, I got the best neurologist in the world, and it's just very, very hard to do. Uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, America's incomplete response to the vaccination could be putting our security and your money at risk. So why do we seem to be moving on? Kramer pulls no punches next. Jim Kramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. When I see these headlines about Russia and China making common cause against the U.S., it makes you feel a little nostalgic, like we're seeing something out of the original Manchurian candidate. Yeah, the Frank Sinatra version. Denzel's the better actor, by the way, but the original one had a better script. When I see a headline like Putin and Xi show united front amid rising tensions with the U.S., it makes me wonder if we've gotten dumber as a country. Russia and China are bringing back the Uncle Joe Stalin, Chairman Mao tag team. Russia wants to turn Ukraine into a client state. China wants to conquer Taiwan. But nobody seems to take it seriously, especially not the White House. Look, don't get me wrong. Growing up during the Cold War under the specter of total nuclear annihilation made for a less than ideal childhood. I'm glad my kids didn't have to experience that, including putting our heads in our cubbies during the air raid drills we had all the time, somehow hoping that the front half of our bodies would survive thermonuclear war. And I certainly don't want it to veer back into McCarthyism, trying to identify the 57 card-carrying communists in the State Department. But can't there be a middle ground between the insanity of the Cold War and the total apathy of the present moment? It's not just foreign policy. Too many of our leaders have embraced total nihilism across the board. I wonder what President Eisenhower would make of his Republican colleagues these days who support your right to spread a virus that's already killed more than 800,000 Americans. Eisenhower was determined to stop polio by any means necessary, in part because we needed to be healthy to beat the Soviets. He said the same reason, by the way, he created the interstate highway system. These are issues that need to be confronted, but all our politicians want to do is fight among themselves. Why bring up these Cold War recollections on mad money? Because COVID is an albatross around the neck of this economy. So much of the inflation we're experiencing has to do with pandemic-induced shortages, including the labor shortage, as Jay Powell talked about today. And the longer we let this go on, the more it will drag. Just as important, the endless pandemic is distracting our leaders at a time when Russia's mobilized an army uh, along the border with Ukraine and China keeps escalating its saber rattling over Taiwan. Now, we often hear about the Chinese Air Force buzzing Taiwan, but they're basically buzzing the U.S. 7th Fleet. Here's what you've got to understand. COVID is not a Democratic illness or a Republican illness, especially not when new cases were up 40 percent today. We need to come together as a country in the face of what could be multiple years of vaccines. It could be like the flu shot where you get a new one every year or maybe more often. If we can't get our act together to fight the pandemic, how the heck are we supposed to fight anything else, especially when dictatorships have the power to stop COVID by fiat? 
while we can't even control our own people effectively. It drives me nuts, and not just because we may not have NFL playoffs with new cases spiking like this. We could have a roaring economy with low unemployment and low inflation, just like 2019, if only people would get their shots. Even if vaccines can't totally reduce your risk of infection, they dramatically reduce your risk of hospitalization or death, and that is huge. This morning, I heard a senator making noises about not knowing if the vaccine is safe. Well, that's ridiculous. Hundreds of millions have taken these vaccines worldwide. It might be the most best studied vaccine in history. Could something still go wrong? Sure. But the risk of something going wrong is much lower than pretty much any other vaccine we've ever tested or taken. Am I saying that we need to take our medicine for national security purposes? I don't know if I want to go that far. But COVID certainly isn't making us safer. If you want to know the real reason, though, I want you to go read President Eisenhower's 1955 declaration about why you had to get vaccinated for polio. It's a terrific analogy for the present moment. He urged everyone to get immunized because it would be, and I quote, in keeping with our highest traditions of cooperative national action. Cooperative national action. Maybe I'm hopelessly naive, but that sounds like a pretty darn good idea to me. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.